Father, we just thank you. Thank you, thank you, Lord, that we are here in your house, at your feet. Speak to us, teach us. Teach us, Father. Your word says as a father to his children, listen, my son, to the words of your father. We wait as sons and daughters, O Lord, that you would speak to us, you would teach us, that we would take something from this gathering, Lord, something that you have spoken to us as a father to his own child, that has value not only in this life, but also in the life to come. Speak, touch our ears, touch our hearts. Speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. So those, all the young ones, listen carefully. Older ones, I know they will always listen. Because they have trained their minds over a period of time. Young ones, listen, okay? Wednesday, Sunday, if you were there, and I know you were there. Key is first, know your identity. Know who you are. Okay, know you are. That will define everything. Know who your father is. Your real father is. It's God. Know your identity. Don't find your identity in the world. If you do, you will constantly keep changing because the world keeps changing and you will be pulled in every direction. But if you find your identity in God, then you won't be changing according to the world. You will be changing inside primarily according to who your father is. Once you know your father, then you find your purpose. What is my father's business? We saw on Wednesday and Sunday, the first words out of Jesus' mouth recorded in the Bible is, Why do you seek me? Don't you know I, I have to be about my father's business? This is his father and mother on earth asking him and he's asking them, why are you worried? Why are you seeking me? Because once you know your identity, you know your purpose. You know what it is your father's business is. Once you are sure about your father's business, then we need to be very, very focused. Very, very focused because the devil hates people who know their father's business. Because he knows they are very, very dangerous to his kingdom, to his purpose in this world. They are very dangerous because they are focused. So he will try to distract you. And there are so many voices, good and bad, not just bad voices, good voices too, to distract you from your focus. If the devil cannot distract you through a bad voice, a bad influence, he will try to distract you through a good voice in your life. That's why you need to know your priorities. And you saw Jesus. All the Voices around are crying. Sunday we saw crying. They have come in crowds, multitudes. They are sick. They are oppressed. They want healing. They want deliverance. And he is there in the presence of his father early in the morning. Peter and the disciples come. They are looking for him. Says, Lord, everybody is seeking you. Everybody is seeking you. But what does he say? Let's go to the other towns. I need to preach there. Okay, so he's absolutely clear. This is my father's priority, is the salvation of souls. Once you know the priority each day, be very passionate about it. Okay, that's the fifth last thing which we looked. Be very, very passionate about it. Okay, many of you young people come because you have no choice. But once you have made your choice, I am going. I am going. Be very, very passionate about it. 
Okay? So young ones, listen carefully because the struggle with this generation is with focus. Focus. Our generation didn't struggle so much with focus because when we were growing up, there was, we had no, no TV. There were no magazines. Movies were a no-no. You never went for movies maybe once a year. Okay, that's all. And radio was restricted. You had times when you were allowed to switch on the radio. So the newspaper was there. And when you are young, you know newspaper doesn't interest you so much. But you are asked to read and you are usually told always, read the editorial. And you know, have you ever, any one of you read the editorial? It gives you indigestion. You know that, right? Okay. So you know there were very hardly any voices to take us off focus. Off focus. Sports, it's fine. You go play, you come back, you're tired. Okay. So you remember, but in your case, it's not that. There's so many voices. Okay. So children, remember, be focused. Listening. It's a very, very important discipline in the kingdom of God. It's the primary discipline. That's why God keeps on telling children, be still, be patient, be still. Even in the midst of a massive crisis, when the Egyptian army is behind them and the Red Sea is in front of them, they are panicking. The first voice of God to them is be still. Don't panic looking at all this. Be still, because if you are not still, you will not hear what I have to tell you to come out of this situation. You will never be able to hear. Be still, focus, listen carefully. Keep your eyes, the writer of Hebrews in chapter 12 will tell us, keep your eyes, focus. We are, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, get rid of all this weight. You have come with many weights. Okay, Some sins and many weights. Get rid of all those weights. Get rid of all that sin. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And then he says, looking unto Jesus, keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of you. See, if you are focused and if you, if you, if you allow honestly, no, it doesn't matter how familiar you are with verses of scripture, years, familiar with, still God can say, like, I was just casually going through this, connected with the message, but when I read to his God said, did you ever look at this construction? You were an English teacher, right? Did you ever look at this construction? Despising the shame, not enduring the shame, despising the, go back and think about it. What does it mean, despising the shame? Connect it with what he says in Philippians. Consider it all rubbish. Despise. Do we despise the shame? We endure the shame. It's much more than that. Despising the shame. Think for a minute what it means. It's very, very mind-boggling that construction. Despising the shame. Okay, So there are distractions everywhere. Even Jesus is being... The final distraction struggle for him is the cross. The distraction of the cross. His final struggle in the garden of Gethsemane is the cross. Tomorrow, what you will be on the cross, you will become sin. You will become shame. You will be exposed to the whole universe as sin. And he despised that. He didn't let that distract him. Absolutely focused. Okay? So, he focused on God and his purpose in his life. And he finished his course. That's what we saw on Sunday. Sunday. Okay, 
But the key to his victory, we always will see that Jesus always kept his appointment with his father. Always. Okay, you heard that on Sunday. Did you keep your appointment with God in the past two days? Monday, Tuesday? He always sat at his father's feet. He was still and he never lost focus throughout his life. Our whole purpose in life should be to fulfill the will of God. For that, we need to be still, learn to sit at our Father's feet. And our ultimate aim, desire in life, is to hear that commendation on that day. What is that? Well done, my good and faithful servant, enter into my joy. So if you want to win your prize, each one, prize, like Paul says in First Corinthians, don't lose focus. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Why does that one receive the prize? One receives the prize because everyone who competes for the prize is temperate, is very, very clear about his priorities. There are many distractions, but it's very clear. I'm running a race. This is the race I'm running. This is what I'm aiming at. So it's very temperate, controlled in all the other things. And now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we are running after an imperishable crown. And then he says, therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Don't run without aim. Don't run without aim. Aim should be very, 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 very clear. As you grow older and as you study more and more, your aim should become very, very, you should be narrowing down. Narrowing down. That's why when you finish class 10 and comes to class 11, your subjects, number of subjects come down. Doesn't increase. When you go to degree, it narrows down. When you go to PG, it narrows down. When you go further, it narrows, 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 because now your aim is becoming, secularly speaking, educationally speaking, it's becoming clearer and clearer and clearer. The same thing you should be in your spiritual life too. Very clear as you grow older in the Lord. Clearer. But in this race in which we are running, you need to realize, unlike the world race you run, the spiritual race you are running, there are two most important attributes we need. And we see that in Jesus and it is recorded for us, our sake, in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 6. It says, for in Christ Jesus, none of these things matter. Circumcision or uncircumcision. It doesn't matter whether you are a Gentile believer or a Jewish believer. It doesn't matter. Obviously, anything. But faith working through love. Two things ultimately matters. Faith and love. If you have faith and love, then your hope is certain about the crown you will receive. Faith alone, no. Love alone, no. Both faith and love. Faith is the weapon with which you and I advance. While love should be the power that motivates you. Be careful to have both. Because one without the other can be dangerous for the soul. Faith without love can ultimately destroy the very people you are called to serve. Look at Gideon. He had incredible faith. But look at his end, how he took vengeance upon his own people. Because he ran his race with faith, powerful faith, mighty faith, destroying the enemies with just 300 men and with no weapons, but there was no love. Or you have love, but faith has lost its focus. 
The problem with faith is that faith always needs a target. Always needs a target. What are you planning? I'm planning on. And then, uh, I haven't thought beyond that. I haven't thought beyond that. Faith always has a target. So the problem with faith's temporary targets is like David. Okay, this is what I want to do. Okay, I got Jerusalem. All Israel is in my hands. I brought the ark in and now I don't know what to do. He lost his focus. Even when he fell in sin and everything, did he ever stop loving God? No. He loved God. He always loved God. But he fell from faith. He fell from faith. So remember, balance it, faith and love. So today we will come back to faith. Okay? We have to come back to faith because God responds to faith. God is pleased by faith. God rewards faith. And spiritual battles can be fought and won by faith. So we will read two portions of scripture today. A little large portion, seven verses or eight verses each. One from Matthew, one from Mark. Both are recording the same instance. When you study Bible, we have, Bible, we have always told you if there is a miracle recorded in more than one gospel for your intensive study, read both. If you have a computer, open tabs and read both because you will see one writer will add something which the other, which makes your study more interesting. Matthew 17. And when they had come to the multitude, a man came to him, kneeling down to him, saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and suffers severely, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. Then Jesus rebuked the demon. It came out of him and the child was cured from that very hour. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? So Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief, for assuredly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Now we go to the other portion in Mark. And when he came to the disciples, he saw a great multitude around them and scribes disputing with them. So you have added information, not only crowds, they were scribes and they are disputing with the disciples who have been trying to cast out the demons and the demons are not going and the scribes are saying these things don't happen or you shouldn't be doing it this way. Okay, so there is added information. Immediately when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed and running to him greeted him. They saw Jesus then coming down. Okay, so you need to understand your background. Where is Jesus? Jesus is on the Mount of Transfiguration. He has gone with three of the disciples, left the others. So let us for number's sake, just imagine he took the three left nine behind. These three were with him and he is coming back. This nine, seeing these nine disciples, the crowd thought Jesus was there. They came running. This father brought this son. The nine tried to cast out the demon. It did not work. Then they see Jesus coming. They are excited and they greeted him. 
And he asked the scribes, what are you discussing with them? Then he saw this dispute going on between the scribes and the disciples. He asked, what are you discussing about? Then one of the crowd answered and said, teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit. Now here the father is speaking from the crowd. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciple, they should cast it out, but they could not. He answered him and said, Oh, faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. Then they brought him to him. And when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him, and he fell on the ground, valored, foaming at the mouth. So he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. So more information we have, okay? And often he has thrown him both into the fire, into the water to destroy him. But if he can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if he can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. You need to look, you have to read scripture very carefully, okay? Scripture says, it is interesting, but this shows us the character of Jesus, the nature of his ministry and how we should imitate him. When he saw the people coming, running, people in India, anywhere in the east, whenever they want to see a spectacle, they will come running. And Jesus doesn't want deliverance to be a spectacle. He doesn't want to make a spectacle. He saw them coming, he quickly told the demons, get out before they reach him. We on the other hand, when see we the crowd coming, we will wait, let more crowd come. I want to show my power off. Jesus is exactly the opposite. He sees the crowd, he wants to run away from there. He doesn't want to demonstrate any of these things. Show off, okay? I command you, and then. Then the spirit cried out, come and convulsed him greatly, and came out of him, and became as one dead, that many said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had come into his house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? So he said to them, this kind came, can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. Then they departed from there and passed through the Galilee and he did not want anyone to know it. Did you see this? He immediately left. It's a huge crowd. It's not interested in the crowd. He went away from it and he did not want anyone to know about it. The reason is, okay, there's absolutely nothing in healing and it's all perfectly good work, but he's very, very focused. Absolutely focused. He doesn't want this to be a distraction from his main purpose because he knows his father's business committed to him very clearly. We need to know. We need to know. Otherwise, we will say yes to everything and finally unable and say no to that one thing God wants us to do. One thing that God wants us to do. That is why it is important we learn to sit at God's feet and hear. A lot of people will be disappointed. All these people would have been depressed, discouraged, but it doesn't matter. What is the point in making everybody happy and God upset with you? No. So understand. So this is what is happening. Okay. A young boy is tormented by a demon. And he throws himself into the fire or the water. The demon throws. The father is helpless. Has brought him to Jesus. Jesus was away. The other disciples try. And it's very embarrassing for them, but they could not do anything. They tried. Nothing happened. It's not that they did not try. Because they said, why didn't it happen? 
It's not that they did not have power, because Jesus had given them authority. Matthew 10 and verse 1 says, When he had called his twelve disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. It's also not that, not that they did not have power. They had power. They had authority. They had done this before. But this time they failed. So learn the lesson. We have authority in his name. We may have success in the past, but sometimes we will fail. And when we fail, be smart like the disciples and ask Jesus privately, why did we fail? Mark chapter 9 and verse 28 says, when he came, asked privately, why could we not cast it? Why could not we cast it? What's the lesson? Do not be complacent about your spiritual failures. We are not talking about ministry. We are talking about failing in your spiritual life. Don't be complacent about it. The most greatest danger is that we are so conscious about our failures in this material world. If you're terrible and you're not making money, you will go meet a financial consultant. And he will say, this is the way you need to order your finances. If your health is affected, we don't go to a general doctor, we go to a specialist because we want him to consult. Everywhere we are aware of our failures in this material world, and we are usually not complacent about it. But when it comes to spiritual things, we get very, very complacent. Very lazy. And God says, it's not a good thing. It's a dangerous thing. Why? Because failure is not an option. In Joshua chapter 1, verse 5, the physical example in the Old Testament, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life as I was with Moses. So I'll be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Joshua, God has said, so long as I'm with you and you're with me, you will never fail. So the first time Joshua and Israel fail in the promised land, he's on his face, crying out to God, why did you bring him? Just get up on your face. I don't want to see your tears. I had told you in the beginning, you cannot fail. So if you have failed, the problem is not with me. The problem is with you. Check out, why did you fail? Instead of crying, I failed. Why did you fail? Why did you fail? Then when he checks out, you realize they failed because there is sin in the camp. And when the sin in the camp is utterly destroyed, they continue winning again. Failure is not an option in the old or the new. Don't be complacent about it. Complacency is a very dangerous thing. In the new covenant, we have this incredible, that is physical. For us, it is spiritual in our fight with the devil, with sin, with the world. God says, don't be complacent. Second Corinthians 2.14 scripture says, Now thanks be to God who always, the key is this word. If this is missing, it says God leads, but not always. But it says always leads us in triumph in Christ. So if you have not been triumphant today over sin, over the world, or over the devil. That means the issue is not with Christ, but it's, I stepped out. I stepped out. In Christ, God says, you cannot be defeated. It's not possible. So if you are defeated, it is a sign. Examine yourself. 
don't be complacence. The reason is, complacency is a very dangerous thing. The day of judgment will come like a trap on many. Why should it fall on like a trap? Why should it fall, come like a trap? Because you were complacent. Why does animals get, get caught in traps? Because they were not careful. Because they were not careful. Because they were not careful. If you're complacent, you get caught in a trap. And the greatest trap that is coming is the day of judgment. And we're getting closer and closer every day's events, yesterday's event. It is now creating panic around the world, capitals. A madman has launched ICBMs. He has power now to reach many parts of the world. He's a madman. Everybody is starting to look, will this start the third world war, which means the end for the world. Okay. And we are so complacent. Oh, this, oh, that's news. Ah, Bush will take care of it. Trump will take care of it. Who will take care of it. Modi will. Nobody will take care of it. Only God can. And for his children who are not complacent. Be careful. Be watchful. We are so worried about outward things. We need to be very, very careful about the spiritual reality. Because the day of the Lord will come like a trap upon those who are complacent. It will come, catch many unawares. Primarily because... Three reasons are primarily given in the book of Zephaniah. I hope you know where that book is. There is a book called Zephaniah in the Old Testament, okay? But I will tell you one of the reasons why it happened. Zephaniah in chapter 1 and verse 12. It shall come to pass at that time, I will serve Jerusalem with lambs. God says, I will search Jerusalem. We are Jerusalem. We have come to the, to the, to Mount Zion, the, the church, the first church of the Son of God, the first assembly. And punish the men who are settled in complacence. Zephaniah is all about the day of the Lord. The entire book of Zephaniah is preparing people for the day of the Lord. He says, I will come. He says, even now, this is Jerusalem, this is Zion. I have my light of the spirit. I'm shining into each heart and I know who is complacent. Who is complacent? Very lightly the spiritual things that matter eternally. Very careful about material, physical reality. Very complacent about spiritual. Who say in their heart, the Lord will not good do good, nor will he do an ah. He won't do, he won't do that. He is my daddy. He won't do that. God says, really? I am your daddy, therefore I will do it. You didn't get me right. You didn't get me right. Don't get complacent about your spiritual life when you face spiritual defeats then like this disciples be very very wise and ask why did we fail where you succeeded why did we fail ask lord what is the heart of the problem why did i fail today if you failed why did i fail today if jesus had replied you didn't use the right words then we will think the problem is with the method Maybe we should have tried to cast it out using this method. The problem was with your method. Jesus didn't say that. If Jesus has said, you didn't try hard enough. You should have tried for another half an hour, he would have left. That's what we do. Instead of getting to the heart of the problem, asking Jesus, Jesus, I failed yesterday. So today, we don't ask him. So today, you know what? I'm going to pray longer and harder. God says, that's not the problem. The problem is something else. 
You praying harder and longer for this problem is going to change the problem at all. It's going to affect it at all. Or if you had told, no, 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 no. You have to wait for another 10 years. You have, you don't have enough experience to do these kind of things. He didn't say that either. We hope he would say these things. So that it's very easy. Ah, I don't have enough experience. So it's okay. It's good to be complacent because I'm not. Jesus didn't say any of these things. There were three responses to this particular problem by Jesus. One to the father when he's speaking from the crowd. Then to the father when he's speaking as a father. Then to the disciples. In all the three responses, he touches the problem and the problem is the same. First, the father is speaking up from the crowd. So he's addressing the crowd. In Matthew 17 and verse 19. Okay. Yeah. Sorry, Mark. I... Had two tabs open. That's the problem. It's when you have two tabs open. Mark and. No, 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 no. This is where he says you faithless generation. Okay. Yeah. He answered him saying, oh, faithless generation, how shall I be with you? Now he talks about to the whole crowd. What are you? What kind of a generation are you? Faithless. You have no faith. You faithless generation. Are we a faithless generation? Are we an unbelieving generation? Do we really believe? Do we really believe? The only reason Israel could not possess the promised land was because they did not believe. That's the only reason. No other reason is given. The only reason the first generation could not possess the promised land was because they did not believe. It's not because they did not hear, but because they did not believe what they heard. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 2, scripture says, They also heard the gospel, for indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. He puts us both in there. This is Israel and this is the church. Okay, he says both of you are the same. I gave you the gospel, I gave you the gospel. But the problem is what they heard did not profit them. Did not profit them. What you are hearing today will not profit you. If it has to profit you, you need to do one thing. It has to be mixed with faith. In those who hear it. Otherwise, we heard it, but we will be called a faithless generation. You hear, you have to mix it with faith. You heard on Sunday. That's why I asked you the first question. Rhetoric, you don't have to answer me. First question after Sunday, today I asked you. Second time we are meeting. Did you get the whole message of Sunday? Did you spend time alone with your father the past three days? Did you? Did you get your focus back? That is the key. Did you? If you didn't, God says, faithless generation. You heard, but you don't believe. You don't believe. In Hebrews 3 and verse 12, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. Evil heart of unbelief. Did you spend time with WhatsApp? Yes. Did you spend time with Facebook? 
Yes. Did you spend time talking to all your friends? Yes. Did you spend time studying? Yes. Did you spend time doing your homework? Yes. Did you spend time working at your office? Yes. So you see there are good and bad things. We did all this. That's not the question God asked. God didn't ask any of this. God is asking. One thing will not be taken off from Mary. One thing. That one thing. Did you sit at my feet? Did you sit at my feet? So the first thing God responds to the crowd who is listening, we are the crowd, is, this, are you a faithless generation? Second response is to the problem. To his problem, verse 20, okay? No, 23 and... Uh, Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. To the second person also, what does Jesus say? If you can, believe. If you can believe, if you can believe. Second thing he says, do you believe? It's again coming back to faith. First he called a faithless generation. Second he says, do you believe? Do you believe? Then to his disciples, what does he say? They met him in secret. And when he had come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? What is his response to them? So he said to them, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. But in the account in Matthew, he says something else. Matthew, what does he say? 19, okay? Jesus, because of your unbelief. Disciples are asking, why didn't it happen with us? He said, because of your unbelief. So to the crowd, to the father, and to the disciples, he says, it's common ground. Everybody, you need only one thing, one question to ask. If you have failed, do I believe? Do I believe? So the core issue is faith. Do you believe? God wants us to trust him in order for us to experience his power. If we don't trust him, we cannot experience his power. It has very little to do with how bad the situation is. We are looking at the situation. The father explains the situation. This is the situation. And always we look at the situation which is outside us. God is not looking at the situation. God is always looking into our heart to say, Do you trust me? God is moved more by our faith than our pain. I always believe that Jesus walked away from the crowds not because they were not hurting. They were hurting. But he looked, he saw no faith. So he walked away. Walked away. Because we are physical creatures in this flesh, we are moved by pain. God is not moved so much. He is moved by pain. He has compassion. But he is moved primarily by faith. Jesus saw the pain and the suffering of the masses. And he was filled with compassion. But he is always upset by their unbelief. He was always excited when he saw the faith of someone. The Roman centurion says, wow. The woman with the issue of blood, he says, wow, go in peace, daughter. The Canaanite woman, he said, I didn't see this kind of faith over here. Excited by faith. That's why we need to know 
when we are going through our troubles, our storms, our mountains, whatever you call, those things are outside. We need to really take a look into our hearts and see what's going on inside. What do my thoughts tell about how am I looking at the problem? That's why God says every thought is open before God. Every thought is open before God. And God says, when I look into your thoughts, when I look into your heart, there is very little faith. So when you're going through a crisis, which everybody goes through, will go through, keep on going through until he comes, check your heart. Don't check, look at the crisis. The nature of the problem doesn't matter to God. In this case, it is demon possession. In your case, you may be struggling in studies or a subject or somebody may have not enough money or ill health. It can be anything. In this case, the nature of the problem is demon possession. That doesn't matter. The degree of that problem, the intensity of the problem also doesn't matter. This is, the father says, he throws him into the fire, he throws him into the water. Jesus says, Jesus probably wanted to look into him and says, what did you say? Throws him into the fire. Throws him into the water. Is your son dead? Oh, I never thought about that. You know why your son is not dead? Though you had no belief, it's because I believed my father, your son is not dead because I had written and I had spoken. You will go through the water, you will go through the fire, you will still not perish. I have kept him alive for this hour so the glory of God can be demonstrated. You don't believe, but I do. I do. So the intensity of your problem, of your storm, your struggle, still doesn't matter to God. The nature of your problem doesn't matter. The intensity, whether it is bad or terrible, or sin or whatever, it, it doesn't matter to God. The length of your problem also doesn't matter to God. So what did it, the father say? Oh, he's been at it like from childhood. That's why these years are written. A woman with an issue of blood for 12 years. God says, no problem for faith. There was a woman in the synagogue bent over by for how many years? 18 years. No problem. There was a man sitting at the pool of Bethsaida as a cripple for how many years? 38 years. No problem. What is the common factor in all three? Faith. So it doesn't matter how long you've been going through what has been going through. God says it doesn't matter. Because this is how we look at, we look at the nature of the problem, we look at the intensity of the problem, we look at the length of the problem, says all three don't matter. I ask you one question, do you believe? Do you believe in this God? Only one question, do you believe? To the man, if you look in the the length, in the length, the longest period of suffering is that man at the pool at Bethsheda. To him also God comes and asks, Do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? That's the only question. Do you believe? Do you trust God can get you out of this situation? Do you really believe? Some people believe. But they don't want to get out of this situation. You know, when you have a wound, then the wound becomes a sore. When the wound is hurting, you want it to be healed. But when it is healing, we don't want it to completely heal because now we get a nice pleasure by scratching it. 
That's how sane people have their problems. They have learned to like their problems because their problem now gives them a lot of attention which they never got before. Oh, so sad, sister. How are you doing, sister? Before nobody bothered about you. And suddenly you got a serious problem and others know about your problem and everybody is showing compassion and saying, Lord, this is a good thing. Let this problem not go. Then I will keep getting the attention which I never got. That's why God tells that man, 38 years you sat here, now you want to get well, pick your mat and walk. I don't want that mat there. Because you will come back to that mat. So the only question God asks is, are you well? Do you want to get well? Do you believe? That's why in verse 23, Jesus, let's, let's come back to 22. Verse 22. Um, Father says, interesting, often he has thrown him, destroyed him, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus says, wait a second, wait a second. What did you say? If you can? If you can? Can God? We don't realize, we also. If you are the all-powerful God, then why am I going through? Can you really do this? He put it in a very polite terms. If we were to face Jesus face to face, we will also put across the same question in polite terms. If you can. If you can. That's what Israel kept telling God. In Psalm 78, a record of their journey in the desert is given. I'll give you two verses. Psalm 78, 19 and 20. Yes, they spoke against God. They said, can God? Can God? Prepare a table in the wilderness. Can God? It didn't matter what God did. Behold, he struck the rock so that waters gushed out and the streams overflowed and they said, okay, you brought water. Praise God for the miracle. Water is one thing, bread is another thing. Can he? Can he give bread also? Now if he provides bread, okay, water and bread is one thing, but what about chicken? Can God? Honestly, if we search our hearts, we will see, we also, okay, okay, you paid uh, last month's rent, but this month is a different. GST also has come. We add arguments to question like him, if you can. Can you? That's partial unbelief, not full unbelief. If you can. Meaning, there are some things you can do. I agree, there are many things you can do. But I also think there are many things you cannot do. So basically, Jesus, I'm giving you an escape out. If you cannot do it, it's okay. I already knew it, but I was asking you if you can. Your disciples tried, they couldn't. God says, you got it wrong, son. Let's go back to that verse in Mark. Yeah. If you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. That's what we also do. Lord, have compassion on me. God said, that's fine. I understand I'm a compassionate God. But I'm looking for faith. 
I'm looking for faith. Take pity on me. Why does God, who is a compassionate God, look for faith? Because for us, for him, we are what? Children. And he says, you know what, something children, it's beggars who live on pity. Sons live on faith. Do you go back home and ask your mother, please have pity on me and give dinner? No. You just go and set the table and say, okay. Why? Because you know who you are. But the fellow who is at the gate, who is knocking, will say, have compassion on me. God says, do you know who you are? Do you really know who you are? Do you really believe your father can do all these things? Maybe you know who you are. I'm a child of Abraham. But you don't believe in your father. You don't believe your father is able. He wants us to come to him like a son or a daughter. Trusting and obeying in faith. So Jesus corrects him in verse 23. And he tells him, you got it wrong. Not if you can. All things are possible if you can believe. You are telling me whether I can do this thing. I am asking you, can you believe? We are asking God, can you do it? God says, that's not the problem. (laughs) The problem is, can you believe that I can do it? Can you believe? If you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. All things are possible. Him who believes. That's God's response. And what is a man's response in verse 24? That's what we should be concerned about. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. I believe. And then he looks into his heart and said, Lord, I understand the problem. The problem is not with my son. The problem is not what he's going. That's all real, but that's not the major problem. Major problem is my unbelief. That's my major Lord. My son has gone through this so long. He's a poor kid. He's demon possessed. He has gone through oppression for so long. And I always looked at the problem as being outside. I didn't realize the problem was not outside. The problem was inside. I did not believe. Lord, please help my unbelief. That's what God is talking about. That should be the way we need to look at ourselves because often we are looking at the wrong mountain. We look at the mountain of the problem. But the real issue is the mountain of unbelief, not the mountain of the problem. The father gets it. He understands. And his prayer is, should be our prayer. Lord, help me overcome my unbelief. Unbelief. Don't keep your eyes on the externals. It's not going to get better. It's going to get worse and worse and worse. If anybody thinks otherwise, you are living in an exactly what English says, you are living in a fool's paradise. If you think things are going to get better, it is not. Read Matthew 24 and Luke 21, these two chapters. See what God says, how things will start spiraling out of control in the end. And then God gives this warning for people, God's people and all people who don't have faith, who don't actually believe. In Luke 21, he says, men's hearts failing them from fear. 
your hearts will fail you. Your hearts will fail you because your, your heart doesn't have the capacity to handle what is coming. Your hearts fail you because of fear. Physical symbol, you get a heart attack and you die. But he says your hearts will fail you. Why? Because you cannot handle the pressure that is coming. This pressure that is coming, this storm that is coming can be handled only by faith. It cannot be handled by anything else. Only by faith. So that's why God says, do you believe? If you keep and we keep our eyes on the external, you will sink just like Peter sank. He looked at the storm and he started sinking. As long as he kept on Christ Jesus, he didn't sink. You see, in Mark 4, we have the incident of Jesus. Remember? The, the, the times when Jesus stills the storms. We have the incident where Jesus is sleeping in the boat. It's interesting when the storm hit. In chapter 4, verse 37 to 39, And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Always notice the questions. Don't you care? And we will say, tell the disciples, boy, if I was in your place, I wouldn't have said this thing. But isn't that the same thing? We say, don't you care? Don't you care? So what's the core of this question? The question we need to ask is, do you really believe? In verse 38, we will see Jesus' response. He arose and rebuked, verse 38, please. He was in the stern asleep on the pillow and they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And, next verse, he arose and rebuked the wind and the sea. Peace, be still, and the wind ceased and there was great calm. I want the next verse also, I think I missed it. Yeah. And he said to them, why are you so fearful? Why do you have no faith? Why are you so faithful? They never saw it as their question is a signal or is a sign that they have no faith. Let me ask this question, funny question. But if you really had faith on that day when the storm hit and if you were smart and what would you do? What what would you should you do? You should have gone next to Jesus, stressed out and slept. You should have looked at him and said, you know what? If I really believe he is the son of God and he is in the boat asleep, no boat is going to sink. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. If you really believe Jesus is in you, you think your life is going to sink? In the storms you and I face? It's going to sink? That's what he's asking. How is that you have no faith? He doesn't even look at the externals. I, I know the wind is there. I know the storm is there. I know the water has got. He doesn't look at any of We want to point at all this. That's what we do. We make the minute bills and details. You look at Lord, look at Lord. This much, this much. God says, wait a second. <laughs> wait a second. Do you believe? Do you believe? And God is not interested even in keeping us at this level. He wants to take us to the next level. 
So in Mark chapter 6, there is another storm. In this case, you will see he sends him ahead. He's not in the boat. He's not in the boat. This time he was in the boat, but he chose to sleep. And the storm hit. This time he sent them ahead and he's not in the boat. He's in the mountain praying. And then this is what happened. He immediately made his disciples get in the boat, go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida. While he went, sent the multitude away. And when he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. And the storm came. What is he doing? What are we doing? Exactly what the disciples are called to do. He's put us in a boat called life and send us into our destiny. But he's making, forever making intercession for the saints. Just because he is not there doesn't mean his eyes are not on us. That's what Hebrews says in 7.25. Forever making intercession for the saints. That's what he's doing. Earlier he was there. Now he's not there. And you know what will happen? In the fourth hour, scripture says, in the midst of the storm, he will come to them walking on the water. The fourth hour, watch of the night, when things looks as if everything is going to go out of control for his people who didn't give up, he will come walking on water and he will tell the one who believes, you also walk. You also walk. This is not there in Mark. In Matthew's gospel, we have the additional portion where we see Peter walking on water. But look at his questions always. Do you believe? Why do you fear? Do you believe? If I were to take two cups, only one cup, but in our old science classes, our teachers used to say, imagine, I'm holding two test tubes when you had only one. Okay, okay. imagine there are two cups. And one cup is oil, the other cup is water. And all of you know oil and water don't mix. So if you want to get the oil out of one cup, what are you, what you should you do? You have to pour the water. When you pour the water into this, suddenly you see something, the oil rises. If you keep on pouring the water, the oil will keep on rising and flowing out. If you keep on pouring the water, finally all the oil will pour out. What will be left? Faith and fear don't mix. They don't mix. Want to get rid of fear? You fill your life with faith. Keep on filling it. Your fear will start going till gone. Keep on taking steps of faith because you love him, because you trust him, and therefore you obey him, and you will suddenly realize you can literally live a fearless life. And it is supernatural. They are opposites. They don't mix. They don't mix. And don't try to mix it. Keep feeding your faith. Don't keep feeding your unbelief. Don't keep feeding your fears. Cry out like that wise father. I believe. But also help me in my unbelief. In our natural state, there is fear and there is unbelief. But then there is the gift of faith. There is the gift of faith. And scripture says, God has saved us by giving us the gift of faith through which we received grace. 
God says, add to that. Romans 12 will say, he has given everyone what? A measure of faith. Sabke liye? One measure. Now what are you doing with it? Did it increase? Did your measure increase? Did your faith increase? Give. You have to accept. At the end of the day, 12 disciples, three disciples separated from the rest of the disciples. These three disciples had different experience than the others, but one man called Peter stepped ahead of all of them. He said, if it is you, bid me, I will also walk on water. He's the only man who walked on water. After that, history says many walked, but he was the first man to walk on water. Right? Question is, do we believe? Or do we focus on the external, the mountain, the storm? God says, watch your heart. Watch your heart. John 14 and verse 1, Jesus will say, let your heart not be troubled. Let your heart not be. Believe in me. Believe in God. Believe also in me. You can either in your heart focus on the trouble or in your heart focus on God. That's why I said, Focus. Where is your focus today? The disciples asked Jesus for the reason for their failure. And often we misunderstand the reason. What did Jesus say in Matthew 17? The disciples came, why could we not cast it out? Jesus said, because of your unbelief. Because of your unbelief. For assuredly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. What is Jesus saying? We actually will say, we'll say, why were you not able to move this, do this? We'll say it's because we had very little faith. That's why we couldn't. That's not what Jesus says. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, even if your faith is as small as a mustard seed, even if your faith is as small as a mustard seed, it is enough to move a mountain. That's why we have the idiom in English, small as a mustard seed, or big as a mountain. He says, all you need is faith as small as a mustard seed to meet, move something. It's as big as a mountain. What is God saying? God is saying it doesn't matter how big you feel the issue you are facing. You need to have little faith, little faith, little faith, at least a little faith in a big God. It's not the size of your faith. It is the object of your faith. We think if I had more faith, I could, God says, it's not the size of your faith. You could have incredible faith, but in the wrong thing. What is the object of your faith? The emphasis is not on faith or the size of faith, but the emphasis emphasis is on whom is your faith. When you say, I believe, what exactly are you believing in? Whom are you believing in? In verse 17, you will see. Yeah. 
if I'm right, 17. Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? You get it? He says, it's I who move mountains. I hope. But you don't believe. I still have to keep asking you, who do you think I am? How long? How long? How long? That's what Israel's frustration with Israel. How many more things do I have to do before you will believe? Often our faith shifts from God to our faith. Or to our prayer. Or to our methods. That's why they came and asked him, how, why, how come we couldn't do it? Keep praying to God, Lord, deliver me from this delusion. Paul doesn't say, I can do all things. He says, I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. Our focus should not be on the size of our faith. It should be on the size of our God. When David faced Goliath, his focus was not on the size of Goliath. It was also not on the size of his faith. It was on the greatness of his God. That's where his focus was. Greatness of our God. The more we know God, the more we will grow in faith. Do not grow in faith without growing in God. It's a very dangerous thing. You'll end up like Gideon. You f- do not grow in faith without growing in the knowledge of the person of God. That's the safety. Jesus says, nothing will be impossible to the one who believes in 1721. Jesus said, nothing is impossible to one who believes. Why is nothing impossible to one who believes? Do you know? We quote that. It's nothing is impossible. Brother, your faith. It's your faith. You don't believe. Nothing is impossible to who who believes. But the reason is given by God through Gabriel in Luke chapter 1. What does he say? For with God, nothing is impossible. That's the reason. Nothing is impossible with God, therefore nothing is impossible for the one who believes in God. Nothing is impossible. Don't take God out of the picture. Don't take God out of the picture. The question is, the question we should ask is, why do you want to do what only God can do? Why do you think the disciples failed? Why do you think? In Mark chapter 9 we saw the disciples failed. Nine of them failed. Usually, excuse me, he sent them two by two. Now there are nine of them. All of them failed. Together also they failed. Why do you think? After Jesus delivered this boy in chapter 9, they will go on a journey. Immediately they will start on a journey. On the journey, if you listen to their conversation, you will realize why they failed. 
What did they say? Then he came to Capernaum and when he was in the house, he asked them, what was it you disputed among yourself on the road? He heard, he knows, he knows it all, but he still will ask you, what are you talking about? I heard you fighting. Right after a miracle, I heard you fighting. What are you fighting on the road? But they kept silent. They kept So you need to understand, these are all the interesting parts of how Jesus and the disciples lived. (laughs) It's just like your father and his children. I heard you and your sister fight. What was it? Nothing. Nothing. But they kept silent. For on the road they had disputed among themselves who would be the greatest. This boy was brought over there. Peter, John and James are in there. So, Andrew said, okay, I am the one who brought Peter. You stand there, said, let me try. In the name of Yahweh, get out. Nothing happened. Then others said, Andrew, you step and said, I have more experience. You come here. Nothing happened. If everybody wanted to glorify themselves, nothing happened. Nothing? Jesus said, this is the issue. This kind will come out only with prayer and fasting. What does it mean? The demons come out with prayer and fasting? No. Your desire for glory, for self, that is destroyed by prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting is where you seek the face of God, not an answer for your prayer. The self is destroyed in prayer and fasting. You in prayer and fasting, you are seeking the glory of God. Before God can manifest his glory through a miracle, he has to take away everything that is inside you and me that keeps us from trusting him. One, two, from seeing he alone receives glory. Two things are there. First, I have to trust him. Trust him. Lord, I trust you. That is why we have to spend time with God. Trust you. Why? Because when you have to do something, he will also tell you, this is the way you have to do it. Because almost every way of God in the Bible to do something, if you look at it with your normal mind, it will make you mad. Because it doesn't tally with the noise. It it looks like you will end up in a mental asylum if you don't trust God. Nothing works in our rational mind from the beginning. From the beginning. From the beginning you look, it doesn't work. Whenever God has asked a man to do something from the time of Noah, judgment is coming, flood is coming, everything is built about. Take all the animals. Doesn't make any sense. Nobody has done this before. Abraham, I'm waiting. But I'm waiting for you to be 100, your wife to be 90. Still you cannot bear any children, then you will have a child. What is this, Lord? Does it make any sense? Moses, go to Pharaoh. Yeah, I know. You know his army is led it for many years. The mightiest army on earth, yes. And bring my people out. How with this? That's why you need to. That's the only one man. That's why scripture says in all the house of God, Moses was faithful as a servant. Jesus was faithful as a son. Heard or wait? 
What you should do today, do today, son. Okay, you will face this. This is what you do. Speak a word. Today, spit into his eye. Today, spit into the mud. Make it, put it on his eye. I heard it very clearly. This is the way to do it. We don't hear. So what do we do? We try spitting. We try slapping. We try everything. Hoping something will work. I've seen, heard stories of what pastors trying to do deliverance, holding by the hair, dragging it in the name of poor jail. By the time his deliverance is over, she's in the hospital. <laughs> Jesus never did any of those things. Very simple. He heard clearly. Very, very clearly. What was the reason why he heard very clearly? One, he absolutely trusted his father. He obeyed his father. He heard from his father. Second, he was very clear about the way he worked. In John 17 and verse 4, he will say, scripture will say, Jesus' final prayer, high priestly prayer, in this is, I have glorified you on the earth and have finished the work which you have given. In the work he did, he wanted only one thing. He wanted to glorify his father. That's why he walked away. The crowds were chasing him. But he walked away. He didn't want their glory. This is not the time for my glory. My glory has to come from my father when he says work uproot. I have brought glory to you on earth. Absolutely clear. I want to bring you glory. So ask ourselves this question this evening. Do we really believe? Do we really want to bring God glory in the way we do things? Can he escape this trap of glory? Can we escape this trap of glory? It's a trap. It's a huge, huge trap. Can we escape? Huge trap. We want glory. I'm not saying you shouldn't appreciate each other and the work that is done, all that. But my question is, if you're not appreciated, can you still continue? Can we still continue? All the saints who overcame lying in prisons, who appreciated them? Who appreciated them? Did anybody appreciate them? Because these are the reasons people use. Jesus, that's, if you look at the entire four gospels, how many times do you see people coming and say thank you to Jesus? One leper who was a Samaritan. Then, do you know anybody else? How many people? How many people said, thank you, Lord? As soon as they got their miracle, they left. Some people got their miracle after they left and they never came back and said, thank you, either. Did it stop him? Did it stop him? Two things today. If you don't take anything else, take two things. Do we really believe? Believe God. God says the problem is not outside. Whatever you are facing today, young or old, the problem is not outside. We look and we magnify our mountains. God says faith magnifies God. And in the light of God, every mountain looks small. Goliath looked very small. He Really, he was huge, eight feet tall, massive. But in the light of Yahweh, he looked very small. And you listen to David's words, it's all about God. God will receive glory today. God of Israel will have glory today. It's not about David. 
And why was that other man so offended because from the mouth of the women he heard women attributing glory to David. That was why he was offended. David wasn't even bothered by what the women were singing. Oh, Saul has killed his thousands. David has killed his ten thousands. And this man wanted glory. If the women had sung Saul's army has defeated Goliath, great is Saul, he would have been happy. Could have been happy. That's our issue. Two things. Do we really believe? Do you really trust? God says, if you can handle the mountain of unbelief inside. That is why we come. That is why. Because like I said, faith and fear don't mix. We have to get rid of this faith through the hearing of the word of God. Constantly, 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 constantly. Get rid of it so that faith arises. Second thing, remember, it's God alone who receives glory. Alone. That's why we have to learn to say no. Say no. Have to be able to say no. Jesus was able to say no. And we find sometimes struggle to say no. Because now we realize it is not about God It has become God and me. The sword of God. The sword of God and Gideon. Then ultimately it will become Gideon. You read Judges carefully. Read Judges carefully. Becomes first about God. Then it becomes God and me. Then ultimately ends up as me. Because we need glory. God says we don't need glory. Only God deserves glory. God will not share his glory. And you know what? Our mountains, our storms get larger and more and more powerful. Because power is there to handle every, every, every storm. But unbelief has got it. We don't believe. So two things you take tonight. What is it? Do you believe? Lord, deal with my Unbelief, this mountain of unbelief inside, not the mountain outside. Second thing, Lord, let me not steal your glory. Let me not steal glory. Let me not steal your glory. It's about you, Lord. It's not about me. Whatever your ministry is, it's about him. It's not about you. It may be very small in the eyes of the world as a student. It doesn't matter. It still should be about God. It should be about God. Men, shall we pray? Father, we just come to you this evening. We thank you, Father. We worship you. We glorify you, Lord. We too pray like that Father who cried and prayed to you. We believe. But Lord, help our unbelief. Truly help us to magnify you in our lives, in our situations. Help us to see how great truly thou art. How powerful you are. That in every situation, you will always receive glory. Help us to see 
the mountain of unbelief inside and the thirst for glory in our hearts to be recognized by man. Help us. For your word says it is impossible to please God without faith. That anyone who approaches God he must believe. Anyone who earnestly seek God must believe. And God is the rewarder of who seeks Him. Help us to seek You, Lord. Not just Your power. Let us not hear the same words that generation heard. How long should I tarry with you? You unbelieving generation. It is you who do the miracle, not a method. It is you who deliver people from oppression, not our prayers. It is you who set the captives free, not just our faith. It's you. Help us to always see that. Yes, the fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. But it is because God answers the prayer of a righteous man. Thought God, Elijah could have done nothing on that mountain. Nothing would have happened. It was God who did everything. Help us, Lord, to see. Commit your children into thy hands, O Lord, young and old. As we go into another week, rest of the week, rest of the month, help us to deal with the unbelief in our hearts. Magnify you in our lives. Thank you, Father. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.